0: Hey everybody, Alan Arnett here with another
1: podcast on alanarnett.com, and you will not believe who I'm talking with today. Let's forget Everest 2021, except for the people that summited. Congratulations to them, well done. Otherwise, let's forget it. Let's move on. And now I want to talk to a crusty old bastard, the 35 year old Graham Zimmerman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, full disclosure you just got through telling me that graham oh yeah that was those you're just repeating my words <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> the best the best interviewer in the world takes the earlier comment and weaves it in so much to your chagrin i, I dig it so in all seriousness um graham and ian westland Wellsled. Wellstead. Wellstead.
0: Wellstead. Well
1: said. Thank you. Thank you. for my, All my regular viewers know I'm horrible with names. A Canadian and American. Your guys are going to go try to do, you're going to do, you're going to make the first complete summit of K2 using the West Ridge.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, so we're going to go try the West Ridge of K2 in Alpine style. And um, yeah. And I think, I think it would be the first Alpine style, um ascent certainly of the west ridge and i think it's you know it's and it's kind of improving on some of the styles of past alpine style ascents as well now let's be clear we haven't done anything yet so (laughs) these are all hypotheticals um and when we look at these expeditions you know the number one goal is to come home safe number two goal is to come home friends number three like make it to the top and uh and uh so that's you know going into these things like as we look at you know the style as we look at yeah kind of what you know what our overall goals are um you know coming home coming home one piece is is number one because that's how we keep climbing and how we get to keep trying these things absolutely uh, so that's that's really that's really important i mean you, uh,
1: you guys have families right
0: yep so uh so ian lives up in canada um he's got a lovely girlfriend up there and then i I live down here in Bend with my wife and uh, our little fluffy um, Labradoodle, whose name is Pebble. And uh, and so, you know, neither of us have kids or anything like that. But but we both certainly, you know, have vibrant lives outside of climbing and really value value that. And that's a really important part of, I think, not only, um, you know, what, you know, kind of keeps us going back to the mountains and has kept us motivated and motivated to keep going and keep coming home safe. But, um but I think, you know, it's like having that, like, it's, it's part of like having that kind of thing that we can level on as partners is really important as well. Because for me, one of the hardest parts of, you know, going on a trip like this is having the right partners, having somebody who wants to try this thing that's like kind of audacious, um, but also is somebody who I trust to, you know, when it's time to go down, we'll, we'll be okay going down um because you know it's like we don't we don't really want to like tread that line too fine
1: um i always find it interesting that when you go on an expedition when you first i mean in this case you guys have never climbed together is that correct
0: um yeah it is. yeah we spent a lot of time together um we were at the pla door together in 2014 i was i was nominated back then and that's when ian won for his ascent on k6 uh west um and so we, we hung out a lot there. We've been in touch a lot over the years. And, um, and then we have a lot of mutual climbing partners. And, uh, and then we kind of found that like, hey, like, oh, we're both pretty interested in trying to go fast on a kind of moderately technical route up on one of these tall things so let's
1: i, I always find it interesting that uh, whenever i go on an expedition typically it's with a bunch of people i don't know and so the first time you meet them you know you're having dinner in islamabad or you know Kathmandu or someplace and you're like sitting around the table and you're kind of going can i trust him to belay me if i fall in a <laughs> crevasse will he pull me out <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, you got to know these things and it's, it's been an interesting year because traditionally, I mean, Ian and I would have spent a lot of time climbing together uh, before this, but since the Canadian border, the Canadian U S border has been closed, we haven't been able to. And it's important to note that Chris Wright, uh, one of my primary climbing partners was also meant to be on this trip, but very unfortunately got into a snowboard accident um, and really mangled one of his knees and had to get a reconstructive surgery done on it. And so therefore has had to bow out. Um, which Chris and I have been on a whole bunch of expeditions together to Alaska, to Canada, to Pakistan. Um, so it's, you know, it's really, really too bad not to have him. Um, Actually,
1: I, I wanted to talk about that. And let's just jump into it right now is that yeah. back in uh, 1991, um, um, Doug Scott, Joe Tasker and, and Dick Renshaw, they were going to go. And then um, Doug Scott had to drop out because of a previous injury. So they had three climbers. And they dropped down to two and they basically then decided that wasn't enough critical mass. So let's, I mean, this is really jumping forward in the progression I want to go through, but yeah. so how do you feel that you guys can, can, you know, do it with two people?
0: Um, I mean, gosh, like we, like we certainly have a lower percent ch- chance of success without Chris, just due to lack of manpower, yeah. um, you know, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to lead 17% more pitches, you know, up to right. 50 from 33 or whatever. Um, but uh, but the fact remains that like you know I've spent a lot of time climbing in the big mountains, you know, and I have a lot of experience in the big mountains, and uh, and I think we have a pretty good plan. Um, and so much of what is required for a trip like this is the right conditions, and that's not something that we have any control over outside of like what season we pick. And so, you know, while our percentage chance of like climbing the thing without Chris may be a little bit lower, um, you know, it's still, it's still like a season when conditions look like they could be pretty good. It's been a pretty dry winter over there. It hasn't had, we haven't had a, huge storms coming through so far yeah. this spring. And that's kind of lining up for, you know, lower avalanche hazard, um, that's lining up for, you know, more rocks sticking out, which is, you know, pretty good for us. Um, right. Yeah. may mean more kind of blue ice up high. We'll see, you know, but that's kind of, you know, that's all we can do is go see. So that's, that's what we're going to do.
1: So let's take a step backwards. Uh, again, a lot of my, um, viewers and listeners on the podcast and all this other stuff, um, they're not gonna be familiar with you guys and what you've done. I mean, you are like, Modern day badass dirtbaggers. I mean, you're you're out there, you're climbing these six and seven thousand meter peaks, mainly in in the, the Camp Karakorum and but elsewhere around the world. Oh my gosh, you know, and you're a filmmaker, you've been all over the place from Kenya to you know, God knows where Mars. I understand that you did a great <laughs> video on Olympus Mons, but that's for a different interview. So Tell us about your. Tell us about what is it. So, when did you first start getting into rock climbing? Were you were you like a dirt kid, you know, living out of your car?
0: Golly, let's see. So, we'll just to kind of give it the you know the um, the brief the brief history. I I started climbing when I was about sixteen. Um, I was initially really attracted to the mountains. Um, the mountains have always kind of been the thing, and I. Let's see, my my folks. I, so I was I was actually born down in New Zealand, so Kiwi Kiwi originally, um, and then then my folks moved up to Seattle, um, which is really where I grew up. Hence, I sound like a yank, and um and I, <laughs> I have an American citizen citizenship as well. And uh, and so growing up in the Cascades, like I gravitated towards the North Cascades, um, gravitated towards like going and learning how to climb some of those technical routes there, and. Um, and then when I was 18, um, I'd actually done a course with the American Alpine Institute. My, my folks had helped me out with. Um, so I'd learned some kind of the technical skills and then I moved back down to New Zealand and cut my teeth in the Southern Alps. So I was down there from, uh, when I was like 18 till I don't know, 22 going to university studying glacial hydrology. So very focused on the mountains academically and then spending all my free time in the Southern Alps. And I started out like, climbing some of the moderate stuff. And by the time I left New Zealand, I, I was climbing some of the hardest routes in the Southern Alps. And if you don't know about New Zealand climbing culture, like, you know, I mean, you can kind of surmise from the fact that Sered made the FA of Everest, uh, but, uh, but they've got a vibrant climbing culture and the mountains down there are not exceptionally tall. I think they're like Mount Cook's somewhere in the realm of 4,000 meters, but they're, uh, but they're steep and they're big glaciers. And it's kind of this mini- like greater range. So I really got to cut my teeth in this realm of like dealing with like big ice routes on like big faces and having to do big glacial approaches to get there and these big kind of like complex descents. And so that really set me up for like when I graduated from college, I just headed off to the big mountains. And I took trips to Kyrgyzstan, I took trips to Alaska, I took trips to Patagonia and just was fully enamored with those places and made some made some pretty cool first descents there but also recognized that I didn't have the technical skills in order to do the things I wanted to do. So then I moved to Yosemite and started working for the YOSAR team there and really learned like how to get up stuff, how to get down stuff, learned a lot about what can go wrong and how to stay away from it and how to get yourself out of bad situations and really learned a lot of those kind of technical rescue skills and that sort of stuff. And and I learned how to rock climb a lot better and was spending my winters in Canada um, climbing up there and subsequently went back to the big mountains. And I feel like that's kind of when I'm like, I don't know, it's probably, it was like 2010 when I kind of made my first sort of splash in the climbing scene with a route called Vitology up in Alaska. Um, And uh, I should note that during this time I was working, like, I guess during this time I was also working, I was working as a geophysicist, which is how I was paying all the bills, um, which is, Actually, why I was spending a lot of time in Northeast Africa, Kenya and Eritrea and stuff, and uh, and then yeah, so I started spending a lot of time in Alaska. Did a lot of stuff up there that was really cool. Um, was nominated for a PLA for a route that was that we put up up there on on the n- northeast buttress of Mount Lawrence. Um, spent a lot of time in Patagonia, and but the Pakistani Karakoram has always been like the place. It is they're like the baddest ass. Steepest, biggest hills on the planet. And I didn't really have the keys to that castle because, you know, it's like the complexity of the logistics. There was the Nanga Parbat um, massacre. Right. There, you know, like right. there were a lot of reasons why I, I couldn't go. And I actually, I had two trips planned that didn't go through. And then I started hanging out with Swenson a lot, uh, Steve Swenson, who's one of the most experienced Karakoram alpinists that we have in the United States. And he was like, cool. Let's let's go. go There's I a mean, book right over there. Yeah. Which is called Karakorum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, so I started going with him in 2015 and subsequently that's like basically been where most of my effort as an alpinist has been focused. Um, so
1: let, let, Let's stop here for a second. When you first, I know the first time, I, I think it was like 2007 or eight that I was going to broad peak and I went through the Karakorum. And, you know you got to the top of the glacier you know how you had that head wall and you start actually on the glacier proper yep and you're like looking around and i thought the first time i went to nepal and you know into the kumbu and seeing all these going up there to Everest space camp that was in 80 97 that was incredible the Karakoram. get give us a taste for how you
0: how you thought about that the first time you saw it um gosh that's a cool question um well, I first, I first became aware of the Karakoram in high school, like looking at books of like Todd Skinner climbing on Trango and, and climbing up in the, you know, on the, on the high peaks. And I, I probably saw picture pictures of Wojtek up on Gashabram 4 and stuff like that. And, and, um, and, but when we first got there, the first trip I took was to the Nangma Valley. We were trying to, we were trying K6 and a peak called Changi tower, which is kind of a Trango style wedge that hadn't been climbed up until that point. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's really, it's really an incredible range because the mountains are huge. They're so big. And then it's a, it's a, very arid climate. So you're like coming out of this desert and then like, and then moving up into this like dry Alpine zone. And instead of being these like big snow laden peaks, it's yeah. these peaks with like, they're like, Huge and craggy and like, I mean, for somebody who's invested in like really steep mountains that are really big, it just totally blew my mind. And the thing is about the Karakoram that like we hear a lot about these eight thousand meter peaks and seven thousand meter peaks, but you know there's a lot of attention that goes on like the Trango's, but there are peaks like that all over the place. Like as you're right. driving in these areas, it's just stacks of like granite towers and like gorgeous things that are like six thousand meters, so nobody pays attention to them, but like there's just heaps and heaps of just unreal alpine terrain. And I remember when we got to the top of, I guess when we got to the top of Changi, the weather was a little scuzzy and it was kind of dark. So we couldn't see the, see the range that well. But then um, when we got to the top of K6 West, a few weeks later, this is back in 2015, um, we made the first ascent of the south uh, Southwest Ridge. Um, this is Scott, Scott Bennett and I. And we like could see K two, we could see Broad Peak, we could see the Gasherbrums. They were just laid out there on the horizon. It was just like, yeah. holy shit, this is, <laughs> this is the real deal. Um, and that's you know that's probably when I first started thinking about climbing K two. Was like, you know, seven, 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 six or seven years ago, kind of thing.
1: So when you looked at K two the first time, did you did you where, where did your eye go? Was it the skyline on the left-hand side when you saw it like from
0: Concordia? Um, so I've never, so I've actually never been up to Concordia. Um, I've only seen it from like closer to the actual ground position line, the the um, uh, contested order between Pakistan and India. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so you have to think, you know, I mean, when I first saw it, it was like, we were like on top of another peak and like starting to go down. So I didn't like give it a really good look. <laughs> it wasn't until I started doing research later, and really started digging into what had been climbed, you know, where the hazards were, where the climbable terrain was. Like, really spent a lot of time looking at different different objectives and on those. On you know, I actually I did kind of a full audit of like all the eight thousand meter peaks in Pakistan, just kind of looking for like, you know, what's what's there. And um, and the West Ridge of K2 is really what stuck out um because it has been climbed but it hasn't seen a direct finish it's pretty easy to get to um so as like kind of a first thing to go try on it like you don't like the whole north side thing is amazing but is pretty pretty complex also it's like kind of impossible right now um
1: so so yeah. let's let's take this thing one step at a time. So yeah
0: yeah yeah um, okay okay. okay.
1: <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna go, leave on the seventeenth, which is I don't know next Thursday or Friday. Um, yep. Go over to Islamabad. You've got your vaccines. Uh, it looks like Pakistan is now relaxing the entry level uh, requirements. They're gonna let Sherpas come in probably to let you know the K two summer season on the standard routes become another commercial uh, season just like it was last year and in yep. the winter and this year. You guys are going to share a base camp at the traditional camp. And then, um, so you got to trek in through the, you know, through the care we
0: trek in through the whole, kind of through the whole, like, you know, go to Islamabad, go to Skardu, drive out to Escola, start walking. Um, it's worth noting that we've got, we've, like, worked with a COVID strategist here in the States to actually design, like, a really dialed-in strategy to, like, make sure that we keep all of our staff safe, that, you know, it's like everything that happened in Everest was you know, super spreader events based on like too many people being in one place and not enough protocols. And so we like took a lot of learnings from that. And we've got a pretty dialed protocol nice. how we get in there, how we make <laughs> sure everybody stays safe, because like our Balti friends out there, um, yeah. you know, they're at risk. Absolutely. in with us. And so that's like, that's, that's probably our biggest um, concern right now. Um, you know, like once we're in base camp, we're going to kind of treat that as like our little international space station, where we're like, sort of confined um nice. but uh but yeah so we'll go up to the regular k2 base camp and then um and then you know it's our climatization schedule and things like that are a little bit dependent on where like kind of what's going on in the area um i'm not sure exactly what we're what we're gonna do we could we, we may go over that like, people have traditionally acclimatized on the lower like on on broad peak on the west face there um which which i think we may do but if there aren't, if there aren't a bunch of parties over there and there's not kind of a goat track going up, going up broad peak, like we may modify that kind of depending on, on what, you know, it's like, I think that, I think like the seven summits Sherpas were only just approved like this afternoon. So I think, uh, so it's just, we're kind of, we're sort of like our climatization is like, we're, we're kind of still, we're, we're like, we have a plan, but we're not, like the main thing is we was going to like sleep above 7000 meters for like at least a couple of nights in order to be like well acclimatized enough to uh to go climb to go climb on K2 and uh and so we're going to achieve that one way or another and then have a have a small advanced base camp up on the Savoia up kind of around the corner from the primary K2 base camp and the goal is like you know kind of end of July sort of thing be really well acclimatized and have you know and be up there at that advanced base camp ready to ready to rage once we uh once we get you know once we get a good weather window
1: so what's been the maximum altitude that you and ian have reached
0: we're about the same actually right just above seven thousand meters so we don't like neither ian and i have interesting of experience yeah Um, yeah we've both done really well with altitude um but we don't have like we don't have heaps of experience way up high so there's gonna there's a big question mark there um how well we going to do we have we both have an exceptionally deep well of fitness to work with we've both been training for like you know 12 months for this um and and i think that the fact that we're kind of on the same page is sort of nice um we've got we've done a lot of research on how to acclimatize for this stuff what to have we on the lookout for and all that and uh and we're just really trying to like stack as much acclimatization in the month of july as we can because the more climatized we can be, the less dramas we're going to have. Absolutely, um, yeah. And it's just going to be—it's just going to be about not cutting corners. Um,
1: so yeah. the route, this route, West Ridge has been climbing. I look at my notes here. So the first time with um, was a 1978, was like mentioned earlier, with uh, Doug Scott, Peter Borderman, Joe Tasker, and they, then they, they didn't—they didn't send it. it. Correct. They didn't go up because um, Nick estacourt died
0: nick escort died in an avalanche on the lower slopes
1: yeah and then in 81 there was a japanese group with that's where nazir went up and they reached the summit but they didn't go up the entire true route they had to kind of peel off and go over um, one of the traditional routes and they, then they,
0: they, they hung a right and and uh and ended up going up what is now the magic line now it's worth noting that the magic line is oh. not actually a route at that point so they were on fully new terrain yeah and it's funny i've talked to nazir about this at length and he's like i don't know it's kind of hard over there it might have been easier <laughs> to go up i don't know and it's like he's if you've ever met nazir he's like a wonderful <laughs> man and yes. is like very <laughs> very willing to kind of like he's he's kind of silly i mean he's like He's got a great sense of humor. He's like, yeah, maybe I was telling him we were thinking about going in. I was like, yeah, maybe it's easy up there. I don't know. <laughs> don't you love it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe go over there and
1: try and see what happens. Um, and then in 93, uh, Dan Mazur and Jonathan Pratt, they yep. they went up the same thing. They peeled off. Didn't they make pl- it on the true ridge like, all direct.
0: They they, they climbed they do climbed, the same thing, the ma- cut over to the magic line. There's a big snow bench. It's like somewhere between like eight, thousand and like eight two it's kind of hard to tell exactly where it is yeah. um but that's there's a big snow bench there and they cut over on that um which is um i think it's one of those things where you're like on this you know you're way up on this hill and you're like kind of looking over this you're looking up and it's kind of like the mountains rising above you and then out to your right you can see the ridge line that looks maybe not as steep and i think that they're like oh that looks better and they kind of <laughs> cut all off over there
1: and then in 97, a ja- another Japanese uh, expedition tried. And it sounds like they had the same um, outcome.
0: They actually went left. Um, okay. And it's a little unclear to me where they went left. Okay. They cut over onto the west face somewhere. Um, and I've had kind of a hard time determining exactly where, but I think they cut like quite far over. Um, so once again, so there are these kind of two ways that people have gone. They've gone up to just above 8,000 meters and they've either gone left. Or right and there's this Kular that goes straight up to the top um it looks kind of cool so <laughs> i love it
1: you're gonna get there and you're gonna see what happens
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that's and that's like that's the whole deal like you know with these things like there's so many unknowns we may get up there and it may just be like oh yeah great let's climb that or it might be like oh whoa, i see why those guys went right maybe and maybe we'll just do that um
1: and so you and Ian are going to be doing Alpine style, which means no expedition going up and down, establishing camps and, you know, cash and carry and all that. You're going to start at your base camp and then you're just going to, are you, you're going to rope up. You're going to have yep. five or six pitches, I guess, where you rope together, maybe.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, well, I bet we're roped up for a lot of it. We're both okay. pretty safety conscious dudes. I don't, yeah. yeah I don't really like free soloing. Um, it was really easy maybe, but like, I don't know, I bet I bet we wear wear the rope quite a bit. We're like yeah. we're both pretty psyched on coming home. So um yeah. and we're both like, you know, Ian's like a full blown mountain guide. I've got a lot of like technical expertise. So, you know, we can cover ground pretty fast with the rope. Um, you know, probably climbing together. Um, but yeah, I think you know, we'll we'll be up there, we'll be we'll be being reasonable, um, but certainly gonna have to move move fast. what's um, your what's
1: your base camp altitude and up to 86 what's the
0: uh let's see so base camp uh gosh i should i should have my notes in front of me i want to say everest or sorry uh not Everest. k2 <laughs> base camp is uh is like 5500 meters or five no no sorry 45 oh gosh i don't i should look at my notes um how high is k2 base camp tell um, you what i'll do
1: i'll i'll embed a will uh, embed a picture of this uh k2 base camp is about 16.5
0: feet 16.5 okay. feet Great. And so, and so our advanced base camp is like a thousand feet above that.
1: Okay. All right. So around, around 5,000 meters. So you're, yeah. Okay. All right. So you're going to have around Masamano 3000 meters to go up.
0: Um, Yeah. the The ridge kind of ridge climbing in earnest is about three, three grand.
1: Yep. And so how long are you expecting it to take?
0: You know, it's going to be very dependent on conditions. I think we probably will go kind of do like a test run on the route, just kind of climb up for a day or two and come down kind of as part of our climatization and just kind of, it'll give us a read on like how many ice screws do we really want to bring? Like if right. snow conditions are like primo, um, then maybe we won't need that many, but if it's like pretty icy and we might need, you know, it's, it'll just give us more information and information is what you use to stay safe on these things. And so you'll
1: carry a full rack.
0: Oh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we won't have like a double rack or anything like that, but like, we'll definitely have some gear with us. We're not, none of this like night naked stuff, um, <laughs> which is what like the French and Voitech and those guys were doing back in the, back in the nineties where they'd be like, oh yeah, we did it like with no backpacks and like two pitons. Um, they were, they were climbing things that were a little easier. Um, and they were just like, they were totally hanging it out there. And I really try to define a career where we can show where i can show and i think Ian's in the same boat where like you can do some really really cool things without just like totally risking your life sure um and that's that's what we're going to be doing up there
1: um so, so graham you've done some amazing stuff both of you guys have you know, by virtue of your awards i mean just the stuff you've done is just legendary but this yeah. is in a different this is a different league right you know, the yeah. it's, it's the altitude, it's the exposure, it's the unexpected weather. You know, K two is you know, it's a it's a different animal completely. Oh yeah. Um, give us a sense of give us a sense of where your confidence comes from to attempt a route like this.
0: Man, that's that's a great question. Um, and I let's see how am I going to answer that. Um, for me progression is a very important part of everything that I do. Um, I don't, I'm not really somebody who like does one thing, like one thing kind of at one level and then like tries to do that over and over again. That's true with like my experience in business, um, climbing, really really just about everything. Um, And uh, and so for me, looking for those next logical progressions is a big, big part of what I do. And as I've been researching this route, that's been, that's really been the the thrust of the whole deal. So, what we've done is found something on which we have a lot of information, um, but we are also very inspired by. Um, It's a route that is technically appears to be significantly easier than a lot of the other routes we've done on like 7,000 meter peaks. So, by turning down that technical difficulty, our hope is that we will be able to. appropriately adjust to those other factors that you brought up such as the fact that it's much higher altitude the fact that the route is a bit bigger the fact that you know weather is a major consideration um and that's you know so that's kind of like that you know the fact that it's a little less technical that we'll be able to move more quickly and we'll be more comfortable on the terrain itself is how we're planning to kind of like you know make up for the fact that you know it's it's there's there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about so like you know we that's the reason why we're not going to try something that's going to be like m7 or something like that something that's going to have like really technical hard climbing want to do something that's you know quite a bit easier um just to you know and to be to be to be reasonable does that make sense absolutely absolutely
1: is there a section that um sitting here right now on june 9th 10th gives you pause as you, as you, I, I, as probably you're just like most climbers that you, you vision, you know, you, you close your eyes and you envision yourself being there and climbing and, you know, executing their moves. Is there a section that gives you a little pause?
0: You know, um, the part that gives me the most pause is probably the lower slopes, which are really easy climbing, but are low angle enough that avalanche danger is a thing. Um, up higher, the avalanche hazard kind of goes away because things get steeper. So as we look at the things that I'm most worried about, I'm not really that worried about my ability to like, hang on, um, or climb quickly for that matter. It's more about those, like those objective hazards, like, um, which the primary objective hazards on this outside of the altitude and weather being avalanches on the lower slopes and rock fall up high. Now up high, it should be pretty cold. So I'm not super worried about rock fall up there and we can climb at night if we need to. Um, so the thing I'm actually probably most concerned about is the lower avalanche hazard, which is something that it's just gonna be kind of a go, no go sort of situation. We may get up there and it's not, we don't like it. It's all wind slabs and you know we could get shut down down there.
1: Um, so most expeditions try to summit around the late July, maybe the first week in August. You're almost a month earlier. Was that the, um, a specific
0: strategy? Well, we want to acclimatize really well. So we're looking to, well, I think we're still going to be trying to, I think we're still going to be trying to climb in late July into mid to late August. Um, I think that, I think, you know, the goal is to like by then to be savagely acclimatized so that we're like ready to go. Um, And since we're climbing without without, uh, oxygen, that acclimatization takes longer. Um, It's something that we just need to be more attentive to. We can't cut corners because we can't just like turn the regulator up. Um, so we like, you know, we really have to put the time in to get acclimatized. Um, and I, and we'll spend a lot of time like glassing the route, you know, like taking, you know, I, I travel these things with like a 1200 millimeter lens and we'll take photos of the entire thing, pull them together in a big composite and like study it, you know, kind of inch by inch, get all the information we can. And, and all that stuff takes a lot of time. And for me, that's like all the research on the ground that you have to do in order to make sure that, you know, it's reasonable decision making um and so that's so hopefully you know the plan is to have all that done by the end of july and then and then be ready to you know go go do the thing in terms of how long it'll take um i you know i kind of have like five days up in mind um Hmm. a lot of that will be sort of determined by you know when we do a pre-run on it um seeing how quickly things go on those lower slopes because that'll require the first couple of days being really big days like not necessarily long days but just like covering a lot of ground a lot of and and uh so if we can you know if we can put in like a monster couple of first days then that'll set us up for moving pretty quickly um up the route and so that's you know that's the plan but it's it's gonna you know once again just kind of be be reasonable and you know the kind and you know while we're up there you know we're for sure you know up there on our own it's just us and our like couple of ropes but we will have we'll have a delorme with us or a uh in reach, in reach or whatever yeah So that we can like you know so our buddy in here town um can send us forecasts and so if something big shows up like you know we'll just get out of there yeah and that's yeah. and you know i think that you know as we look at like that you know what merrick just dealt with on burn like that is not what we want like if that storm <laughs> if we see that storm on the horizon we will be getting the hell out of there um I'm so happy those guys are okay, but man, that sounded awful. I know
1: hats off to them, but, uh, you know, three days stuck on the mountain, you know, at what 7,000 meters. I mean, good Lord.
0: I mean, that, that is not.
1: not the, so that's a great segue as we wrap up. Um, you know, those guys, you know, they had hell getting down. So what's your plan to get down from the summit?
0: Well, it's interesting. Um, I would love to come down the West Ridge um Ah. for a couple of reasons one is uh we'll know the terrain um you know on sighting down the abruzzi um sounds challenging even there are ropes in place like figuring out the right spot to drop off the shoulder and stuff like that is is tricky um it's not you know it's not i i i gather that it's not the most obvious route like if tracks aren't in and stuff like that um and we've really been planning for there not to be the seven summits crew there so you know if there aren't fixed lines on it then like the advantage of going down the abruzzi is almost like you know it's not there's no advantage yeah it's, it's um, obvious that's for sure yeah like getting getting down through the house chimney and all that stuff like i guess if it's like totally strung up and there are tracks in it's probably obvious but it's a pretty complex route um yeah yeah it's it's not something i want to top down on site um whereas you know we'll know where to go on the west ridge there's not a giant serac on the west ridge um there's not all the rock fall that you get on the lower Abruzzi. Um, it's actually, I mean, the West Ridge is actually kind of a safer route in a lot of ways. And if we know where we're going, then then maybe, you know, maybe that's the way we go down. Um, and once again, this is a decision we'll make. Like if we get to the top and we're like, totally gassed and like, some of our Sherpa buddies are standing on top, like, want to follow us? Like, <laughs> we might follow them down. Like, yeah, that, this pretty, right. that might be a pretty stupid decision to be like, no, 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 we're gonna go like pin <laughs> off into nowhere. Um, you know, if they're like, yeah, come, we have snacks, it would be like, okay. Um, but you know, that's a decision we'll make when it comes to it. And, um, but yeah, so I think that you know, the two options for getting down are the Abruzzi or going back down the Westridge, those are really the only two two even worth considering um and one will have a lot of information on which yeah. will be the west bridge because we'll just climbed it so game day cl- uh, call game day call <laughs> game day call yeah totally and uh so i love
1: your attitude of you know this balance between doing it in the style that you that you're known for that you want to do it in also combined with you know the pragmatics of of Let's, let's be safe you know i'm not gonna die on this mountain let's get back home to our you know to our family and our kitties and dogs and
0: you know oh yeah but Pebble also the, you know the be pissed if i didn't come home and you
1: <laughs> gotta get home to pebbles and yeah. you know and then when you get to the top you know if if it deems it you know good lord you know yeah. follow the team go down get back down safe because that's the objective because you're going to go up the west ridge you're going to summit you know, and, you know, and th- no one's going to call you for not coming back down the same route. In fact, if you do that, that's going to be amazing. But, you know, it's one of those things that's going to be admired, but not required. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's, I mean, like you, you, you nailed it on the head with the pragmatism and like climbing is something where oftentimes we get very wrapped up in like b- the summit, you know, yeah, like yeah, exactly to the, top, the, the, cost, like, yeah. the the accolades and all that. But for me, it's very important and, and very valuable to focus on the process itself, um, because that's where the most value lies in this stuff. You know, I mean, when we look at these the parts of the trips that I've had in the past that are like my favorite things, like you know, the few like minutes on the summit, like whatever, like, oh great, I'm hungry and cold, like on an apex, you know. Um, and, but like it's the process, it's the partnership, it's the decision making, and that's all the stuff we get to bring home. And climbing is also like in this really profound way, just opportunity. And Alpine climbing more than anything, like, you know, I've put like a year of training into this. We're putting a lot of our personal finances into this, putting, you know, putting a lot, a lot of time and energy into this. And it's all, it's not to climb K2, it's to give ourselves the opportunity to climb K2 if it's in the right shape. And and that's what it's all about. And it's like, you know, and and we could show up and it's just like, Totally, totally terrible.
1: Nature beast.
0: And uh, and that's fine. Who cares? We're gonna come home. We'll go try it again. Um, 2017, man. We went, we tried LinkSar all summer, didn't get above six thousand meters. Went back and spent all summer in 2019. Senate. It. it was sweet. Um, two thousand, yeah, 2017, 2019. And uh, and it's like, yeah, that's that's just what it takes sometimes. And if you want to be a hard ass about you know the style in which you want to climb these things, which admittedly I kind of am, <laughs> and you gotta like you gotta give yourself give yourself room to like wait for those opportunities to wait for it to be right, and that's what it's all about. Um, I love it, I like it. My like favorite my like favorite alpine ascent is uh, when Yuli went and soloed that route on Annapurna. Yeah, and it was like this moment in time yeah. when best alpinist in the world was standing at the base of a very challenging route in perfect condition and it's like that represents to me like why you go over and over again because some point you're going to get an opportunity like that and that's like that's that was a magical moment in time and you really like soloed the south face in it was like 18 hours or something ridiculous incredible right i don't remember it was like very very fast and uh and came down and was just like okay great <laughs> you know and uh it took him you know it took him dozens of trips to the big mountains to get an opportunity it's like Hanold
1: right? coming down and go okay back to the fingerboard you know
0: <laughs> yeah totally yeah exactly yeah yeah
1: totally <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. thank you so yeah. much man i i know yeah i know you know that there is there is just so many people pulling for you and ian to get up there and you know and make us all proud but also to come home safely um you know it, I always tell people that, you know, my best wish for them is to have a positive experience. If you summit good on you, but there's so many reasons why we don't summit these mountains, you know, so many reasons beyond our control as you went through this moment ago, but we always can control having a positive experience. And I wish you both a positive experience.
0: Hey, I really appreciate it. It's been really fun chatting with you and uh, let's chat more in September. All right. Sounds good. Climb on. All right, my friend, be well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks.